Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Movies. As always, I'm Johnny Mockney, and my guest today is a very funny comedian named Alex Bradley. Alex is a comic from Ann Arbor, which, if you know anything about the Michigan comedy scene, is one of the best scenes in terms of just consistent talent uh, out of the entire state. And um, a lot of great shows happening there great group of funny comics and um also the home of the best club in the state i think the ann arbor comedy showcase but enough about ann arbor uh back to this one particular man from ann arbor alex uh he was nice enough to come on the podcast and talk about a wonderful movie called the last dragon um which many people might be familiar with it's a great cult classic from the 80s if you haven't seen it definitely go see it please uh it's a lot of fun we had so much fun talking about it. We talked about Alex's history with the movie, his uh, how it resonates, you know, with him and his childhood and his family. Um, we also talked a little bit about um, how the movie reflects the significance of martial arts cinema in black communities too. And um, I mean, an unavoidable topic, I think, <laughs> when you talk about the Last Dragon. Uh, so it was just a whole lot of fun to talk about this movie with him. Uh, we had a blast, and I hope you enjoy listening to this very rhythmic episode of We Are Movies. We were at uh, The Blind Pig for Andrew Yang's show. Hmm. And we were just talking, and you were talking about how you had this movie podcast, and I'm a big fan of movies too. So I was just like, oh, that's that's great. You know, it's like, I'm always, I'm always down for almost like any podcast idea. You know, if I have enough, I feel like I can talk about, like I can jump in on it, but that was one, like I can bring my own energy <laughs> to this one. Yeah. Um, have you always considered yourself a movie guy or like since your childhood? Yes, absolutely. Uh, when I was a kid, if it was like my birthday and like my mom would be like, okay, what do you want to do for your birthday? The list isn't complete unless we go see a movie. Mm. I have a summer birthday. My birthday is in June. So I get all the big action blockbusters and stuff, all like the summer draws. I get that. So yeah. I kind of grew up being like, I want to go to the movies and I want to go see like you know, Independence Day, which was nice. like the biggest movie. You know, like I get to see like one year, I remember I'm like, you know, carte blanche, I get to pick whatever movie I normally wouldn't get to see. So I'm like a kid when like Triple X comes out. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I want to see Vin Diesel. Yeah. You know, jump explosions with a motorcycle. Let's go. <laughs> That's the perfect time to see Triple X. So as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as a kid and with your mom. Yes. <laughs> uh, is there is there any linkage you think between uh, you growing up as a movie kid and you deciding to do stand up? Because that's kind of that happened with me a little bit where like a lot of my favorite comics I discovered in movies first. Like mm -hmm. I watched, you know, Eddie Murphy movies and uh, or I knew, uh, you know, like I knew George Carlin from Bill and Ted before I knew him as a stand up comic. Right. So like was that. Mm -hmm. Was was that could you trace a line at all from you watching movies as a kid to choosing to do stand up? Yes, I could certainly do that. Eddie Murphy, of course, is huge. And then Jim Carrey oh, like, yeah. redefined what funny was. Yeah. Like after I saw like Ace Ventura, I'm all like, that's <laughs> funny. And I want to be funny. Yeah. Like that's that's a new version of what like someone could just like morph into something. Right. And be funny. So I think that was probably the origin of like wanting to be funny, wanting to give people that what I got from 
that experience watching movies. Jim Carrey is definitely one of those guys. I think we kind of like we, we take him for granted now because we know that mm-hmm. his shtick. You know, we've seen it in so mm-hmm. many movies, but I can't imagine like in the '80s when he was just starting off at the comedy store, like mm-hmm. what that act was like in comparison to everyone else. Like seeing that for the yeah. first time must have been insane. Just seeing a man transform his body and his face into something that's not himself you know and impersonate on a level that we've never seen because like it doesn't take much to do a really good impersonation i mean like it does because you have to like you know form your voice around it also mentally we kind of fill the gaps but it was just to him to take it to that next level of like okay now my face looks like clint eastwood Yes. It's just bonkers. You know, <laughs> the, the way he can just do a face and you're like, that's Clint Eastwood. Like, it's... Yeah. Before he even says anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's I, um, another level. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. What, what were some early movies besides the one we're going to talk about, uh, which we'll get into how you first saw it? Uh, what were some early movies that you think uh, were important to you growing up that uh, you kept coming back to or something? Oh, there's, there's, a, there's a good amount. But my, my first inclination when you say that is like Bad Boys. Nice. <laughs> like a will smith martin lawrence you know buddy yeah. cop movie because that was like my first rated r film you know as a kid you know my my, my yeah. dad takes takes us and he's like you know sits us down and goes like all right this is a rated r film i know i shouldn't be taking on to see this you know if they start cursing too much we gotta leave <laughs> <laughs> and like scene one like you know two prostitutes get murdered yeah. You know, they're like doing cocaine <laughs> off the table. They're like, there's like, fuck shit, bitch, like all over the place. And my sister just like looks over at me and goes, okay. And she's like, looks and goes, all right, if he doesn't lock us out right now, we're going to be good for the rest of this film. <laughs> like, <laughs> this, and then he's just like, ah, was, <laughs> that's funny. Hey, $30. Yeah. yeah already, paid. <laughs> already paid to get in. Yeah. <laughs> gonna get our money's worth that's so funny that's a great uh i mean that's 1995 so yeah yep. you, you were young I'm like i'm like six at this yeah. point <laughs> oh my god like 33 yeah. now so i'm like six years old so it was like <laughs> impressionable not that i was gonna run around and just like you know fuck shit bitch you know right right <laughs> and shoot guns or anything like that but that was really one of the one of the first films like you know and then in the 90s there was some films that were just too big to ignore it's like titanic right it was like the biggest film of all time independence I- day like i said the 90s, I think, was is one of the greatest times to grow up in for movies uh, mm-hmm. because you have kind of like two very different trajectories. You have some of the biggest blockbusters of all time, right? Because uh, you have Jerry Bruckheimer and Michael Bay and all of those movies. Yep. Uh, and then um, and then, like you said, big tentpole movies like Titanic. But then it's also like the sort of that 90s auteur like indie movement where you have like Mm -hmm. quentin tarantino and richard linklater and uh spike lee you know and these so it's like no matter what kind of movie fan you are there was something huge huge stuff happening at the time happening in each particular genre right yeah Um, how big or small big budget low budget didn't matter it was hitting there was something hitting hard in that point did did you find yourself particularly attracted to action movies more than anything or yeah, I definitely responded just being like, you know, a small, like, you know, boy, yeah. <laughs> like action <laughs> movies will, would hit in a way that like romantic comedies wouldn't hit until like, you know, high school. Sure. In college. And you know, like you had some of the best, you know, romantic comedies in the 90s as well. And, yeah. like, that was just like, oh, well, <laughs> I don't get it yet. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, that's not my, it's not my experience. But like growing up, it was very much like, I could understand like, you know, an asteroid's going to hit Earth, so we got to, like, you know, <laughs> do something about that. Or, or, like, you know, 
these dinosaurs broke out. So right. <laughs> there, there's something cathartic about being like a little, you know, like a young boy and you see like Bruce Willis stuck in this building, you know, fighting mm. his way out. And it's like, you're, you're, you know, you're living vicariously through him a little bit. Um, and that again, yeah, the nineties, such a great time for action movies. Cause you have like the, the Bruce Willis and the, you know, Terminator two came out and, uh, yep. uh, you know, um, uh, speed, <laughs> one of the greatest action oh, movies of all time. Oh, that's exactly what I should have said. <laughs> was speed. You were a speed. speed I come back to. I'm a speedhead. Yeah. Uh, it's one of my favorite films of all time. Might be like top ten. Oh wow! Like favorite picks for sure is Speed. Might even be top five to catch me in the right day. Because <laughs> Speed was just like the ultimate action film of the '90s for me. It had it all. It had the influence of so many other films, and it managed to pack in that type of action. Yeah. So like when I think Die Hard, I think. Well, the, the next level of that speed. Right. Because each each part of that film is its own film. Yeah. What if Die Hard was on a speeding bus that couldn't slow down? Like it's it's mm-hmm. it that is that movie is the perfect like elevator pitch, like this is our concept and we're gonna get as much out of it as we can. Yeah. Uh, and then also being a nineties action movie, you have like, you know, you have this great hero with Keanu Reeves, and then you have like the perfect villain with Dennis Hopper. Like uh, yep. you know. Um so the movie you chose for this is uh, The Last Dragon. And I was super Absolutely. excited when you picked this. Because um, this is a movie, this is a movie that I also love. I've I I didn't I, I don't know if I saw it, I'll ask you, but I, I I don't know if I saw it as early as you. I only saw it for the first time like I was still in college. It was like two or three years ago or something like that. Um mm-hmm. so what was your first experience with The Last Dragon? I was a kid, you know, I was maybe like four or five. It could have been a film that like got shown to me before that, but like I wasn't, you know, cognizant enough to like have it happen. Sure. It was it's one of my sister's favorite films. I have to really give her a lot of the credit for some of the things that I really, really like. Okay. She's four years older than me. And so <laughs> it's kind of this passed down, like from like my dad or my parents, you know, they buy a VHS tape. You know, she gets a hold of it. She thinks it's cool. She gives it to me. You know, that whole older sibling vibe. And so Last Dragon was one of those like, oh, this is great. You need this. Yeah. You know, and it was like, it's on TV. It's like, it's on like, you know, syndicated. It's on like BET. You know, it's one of the, it's, it's, it was available when I was a kid too. And yeah, I think I was, yeah, probably like five, six years old and it's an action film. So, (laughs) you know, it's, (laughs) you know, it's easy enough to understand, you know, we're going to tell jokes, you know, it's going to have, you know, something for the kids and then we're going to just whoop ass. Yeah. (laughs) That's, I mean, that's an incredible gift to have passed down to you in an early age. I think this is of all the movies, there's so many movies I wish I had discovered as a kid. And this is definitely near the top of that list. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's everything you kind of want in a movie as a kid. Like you said, like it's funny, you know, it's lighthearted, uh, full of action. Uh, and then also just like, like it's like, it's an R rated movie. There's F bombs and stuff like that, but it's never, yep mean-spirited or disturbing it's always very it's still very silly the whole time and so it's that perfect movie for like a kid who wants to be a little we want to grow up we want to be past you know the cartoons that we grew up watching but we still want something something more adult exactly but there's still a small part of us that still wants something silly you know (laughs) exactly and it's still it's silly throughout it doesn't take itself too seriously you could arguably say other than like what the soundtrack there's nothing really original about the film but that's kind of the point yeah so much of that movie is an appreciation for what's already come before it 
yes that is that is the main character's vibe it's uh like it it, this is um intertextuality in film defined right it's like uh, there are literal there's a whole scene that's just uh a love letter to Bruce Lee films where you're just seeing footage from previous Bruce Lee movies. Um, mm-hmm. And I, uh, and I love that. I was, I was reading a little bit about the the screenwriter um, who it, it really just came from him kind of lamenting. And this was, this was like the mid eighties, right? So yep. the huge martial arts boom had kind of like, it was kind of dying down that happened in the seventies. Yep. Uh, you know, Bruce Lee had already died in the seventies and everything. Yep. Um, but um you know, I was reading that he was kind of uh, sort of lamenting n- not just the de- sort of the death of the uh, the martial arts movie, but also that there hadn't been enough, you know, black-led martial arts movies. And that, you know, you had these big stars in the genre, like Jim Kelly, you know, yep. uh, and people like that, but that he wanted to do something like that. But then I think what's amazing is that he also made something that, while it is hearkening back to movies from the previous decade, it's also so distinctly 80s. This is the most mid 80s movie I've, the time. I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love to describe the film as uh, an 80s music video kung fu film. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> and if I, if I want to take it further, I'm like, it's an 80s uh, music video kung fu film about cultural appropriation or co- <laughs> cultural appreciation, depending on your lens. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's the perfect way to put it. I mean, the, the obvious uh, big stamp, the creative stamp on the movie is that it's it's executive produced by Barry Gordy, right? Absolutely. Of, uh, who was Motown Records? <laughs> yeah, who was basically God? Yes, <laughs> in the eighties, <laughs> you know, Diana Ross had his baby. You know, yeah. <laughs> he's like uh, the founder of like Motown Records. Yeah, I mean, I think like there's so many people we would not know of if it weren't wasn't for Barry Gordy. Exactly. Like, yeah. Um, and. I mean, his his creative stamp is all over this movie in terms of the soundtrack, in terms of like, I mean, mm-hmm. there's this legendary scene where you see the entirety of the Rhythm of the Night music video by yeah. DeBarge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Made me wonder like, yeah, I wonder if DeBarge was signed with Barry Gordy at the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And like the soundtrack has like Stevie Wonder and like yes. The Temptations. It's got Vanity, who in herself was a pop artist at the time. Yeah. Who's also the female lead of the film. Yeah, she, up and coming at the time, right? And, and kind mm-hmm. of, uh, she was a, a prince protege. Yep. And she was in this group called the Vanity Six. Yeah. And yeah. she was Vanity. So it was it was such a launching pad for anything Barry Gordy, Botan Records was going on at the time. It was just like, yeah, this is what we also got cooking on this end. Yeah. And it's like laid into the plot too where like okay the the one of the villain's girlfriends she wants to be a pop star. Yeah. <laughs> she's so she's this like Cindy Lauper parody. <laughs> yeah. The whole like climax of the film takes place like in a, in the club where mm-hmm. Vanity like you know shoots her like you know TV show slash yeah, music video like a TRL of the 80s like a soul kinda. train kind of yeah yeah, yeah like, like a soul train thing where like <laughs> you can show up and dance you can play music videos and like one of the major conflicts is like Eddie Arcadian the villain <laughs> wants her to play his girlfriend's video on her show and she just says no 
Yeah. I love <laughs> he kidnaps her. He violently yeah. kidnaps her. Mm-hmm. Tell forces her to watch his girlfriend's terrible Cindy Lauper esque music video. Off, yeah, yeah, and then she she's he's like play this music video, and even though she's she's captured by him, still goes like no, like she still yeah, has and her, good and, taste. Yeah, and, and the and the terms of her kidnapping are like pretty simple. Yeah, she's like, nah, I can't really give up my taste like that. If I play this music video, these things, everybody's gonna come after me after and be like, so what was that? <laughs> yeah, the the movie the movie ends. If she just like says, okay, yeah. fine, I'll play the music video. Yeah, yeah, I'll play the music video. Don't ask me for nothing ever again. You know, yeah. actually give me some free quarters for your arcade. <laughs> <laughs> I want to come by and play some games. We're going to be cool like that. That scene early on also has a, a brief uh, appearance by an actor who wasn't famous yet. It was William H. Macy. Uh, who's yes, really... <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> There's that moment that like, is that a William H. Macy moment? And, and he's, yeah. he's, he has like two lines, but... Uh, you know, he already seems like a good, he's already like, he's got it. You know, he's, he, he, he kind of, the movie, the quality of acting in the movie really wavers. Uh, and then somebody yeah. like him shows up and you're like, oh, that's a professional. <laughs> yeah, he's it. Yeah. And one of my, one of my like uh, dreams is be to meet a celebrity and then stop and do the whole thing. They're probably seen a thousand times where like someone recognizes them in public. Yeah. Stop, like recognize them, be a little bit confused and then just throw out one of their most random titles. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. if you saw like, William H. Macy, you'd be like, be like Last Dragon? Last Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where he might be like confused. Like, was I in that movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I was in that movie. <laughs> There's it's a, a couple... way to compliment them and slightly insult them in the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple appearances from some uh, character actors here and there. Like uh, the Chaz Palminteri is the kidnapper. Uh, mm. He's, you know, he's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, and then um, Mike Starr is one of the henchmen. Who mm-hmm. I know he's the guy in Dumb and Dumber that they kill with the hot sauce. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It's too. yeah. So it's yeah, great, great cast. And actually, I think Vanity, you know, I, 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 she's somebody. She has the presence of like somebody who could have been a movie star in the eighties. Like she's, you know, she she's charismatic and she's she's kind of like it's a pretty natural presence. Uh, you yeah. know, she's. She's beautiful. You have such a crush on her when you're oh, watching yeah, the course, movie. Of course. <laughs> and so there's just like, like she really works as the female lead, especially to sort of as uh, compared to Bruce Leroy, you know, who has a much more like sort of robotic presence. She yep. acts perfectly as kind of like a foil to him too. Exactly. She like brings way more like personality in the sense that he's just driven and he's focused and I need to find the medallion yeah so my master got it from Bruce Lee it turns out to be like a belt buckle <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, yeah. just to, to take a line from like Pootie Tang it's like oh I got that I got that belt from Piggly Wiggly for 35 cents he comes back like, this is just nothing I just wanted to your training is done I needed to give you something else to go do like right you're already great. Yeah, he gets sent on this wild goose chase by his uh, mm-hmm. by his current master to go find a, this other master, and yeah, uh, and that's that's central to his arc. And that's the thing that another thing that makes it like a perfect movie for kids is it has a very simple, very wholesome message about like yeah. just finding the strength within yourself, standing up to bullies. Like the character mm-hmm. of Shonuff is just a neighborhood bully, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and every <laughs> I watch this film, I'm like y'all should be best friends. Yeah. You're clearly an interest person. Yes. It's like, like, like the movie High Fidelity had a big impact on me because the line he was like, it's not about uh, who you are like, it's about what you are. Uh, it's not about who you are like, it's about what you like. Yeah. Yeah. And that was probably the, the thing that landed with me because I was like, I think that's true for me being like, I 
I like what I like. And if I meet someone out in public who's seen The Last Dragon, we're friends now. <laughs> right. Like, have you seen this film? Like, like, oh, I got the glow. It's like, oh, then we're cool now. Everything is fine. <laughs> like, these are two characters, like Shonuff and Bruce Leroy, who had the same interests. Yeah. They like the same thing. And not everyone in the neighborhood likes it. And this is like, sure, it's in the 80s. But like you said, the boom of Kung Fu films is more 70s. Yeah. So, like, there are movies. And if you think about, you know, 1985, Karate Kid came out the year before. So there was a yes. little bit. A little bit of it, but like these are two people who are like, you have a, a pretty niche <laughs> yeah. thing, although, and you're very dedicated. Although there's that strange moment in the the legendary, possibly my favorite scene in the movie is the movie theater scene, mm-hmm. uh, where everyone in town is attacking Shonuff, and it turns out they all know <laughs> martial arts. <laughs> like yeah. a little bit. That it's, is true. <laughs> in this universe, people really do know martial arts. It's an absurd scene. And it's, uh, but then like Shonuff's entire beef with Leroy is purely that one kid goes, Oh, Bruce Leroy could kick your ass. And so now he's just, he needs to prove that kid wrong. Like he yeah. needs to, he needs to defeat Bruce Leroy. And that's, <laughs> I keep hearing him and I don't want to yeah. hear his name no more. Shonuff's entire motivation is just his humor. little kid. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I need to be the best. There was one, I mean, due to your point about how they had the same interests and that they should be friends. I was watching, I don't know if you watch Red Letter Media. I was watching oh, their, they, they did a review of this movie and Mike Staklasa made the point that he almost thought like what kind of could have been a cool outcome is if Barry, or is if, it's not Barry, is if, uh, um, Bruce Leroy and uh, Nuff teamed up against Eddie Arcadian's guys at the end because they kind of had this common enemy, and that yeah. that would have that would have also I think resonated quite a bit too with like Nuff kind of being like, well, who's this guy? You know, this arcade guy in my neighborhood. Like, yeah. and then teaming up with Leroy would have also worked as an ending. Um, but but yeah. definitely the movie. I mean, it's a much more simple story, uh, and yeah. it totally works. You know, if, for the story it's telling. But that would have been that would have been nice too, because yeah. Eddie Arcadian is is like he's a he's a driving force in the conflict of the film, certainly so, because he's so willing to do whatever he can to get what he wants. Yeah, and it becomes this like capitalistic villain because like he has money because of these arcades, you know, he's got this really nice apartment, he can like you know afford piranha fish or whatever it was. <laughs> and it's like yeah. as a villain, does he just represent you know I guess what capitalism? Is it, is it gentrification? You I was know, gonna all... say, yeah, he's kind of gentrifying a little bit, right? He's trying mm-hmm. to force his his girlfriend into this, you know, into this all black show. Space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and did you see the film "Sorry to Bother You"? Yes, yeah, because it comes up in "Sorry to Bother You" out of nowhere. You know, I yeah. watched this film the first time I watched it. I was really high, so it was <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was a tough time because of the the subject matter was so serious and just like. The, the commentary was like right underneath the surface but it was so like every time i watch that film i go into an existential crisis but there's a scene in that film where the last dragon comes up and like you know she's uh the, tessa uh, thompson the is, tessa thompson's there yeah. and she's getting like pelted with like balloons full of like red paint in front of like a cutout of like africa and she's like i'm just going to do the speech over and over again where eddie Arcadian's girlfriend finally tells him off from the yeah. last dragon i'm like what that's what we're doing here that's amazing <laughs> right yeah, 
that, that, that I remember being kind of taken aback by that. I was like, that's incredible. And it kind of, yeah, it, it says something about how like, yeah, something like the last dragons just seems so silly on the surface. And it is, but yeah. there, I mean, there's, there's something to it that makes it resonate for so long that, that mm-hmm. it's kept up all these years since 1985. And it's, I mean, it's the definition of a cult classic too, where yep. it's like people who love it, love it they're so into it and Mm -hmm. then there's so many other people who just haven't heard of it (laughs) you know yeah that's exactly the other point it's like it's i expect people to not have heard of it but i expect anyone who like has gotten to it to have a story yeah i mean like this is how you got here like it wasn't just it's not easily presented (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah yeah uh i i do want to talk um oh by the way the uh this is uh since this is the timed zoom thing (laughs) we'll have to end in like 10 minutes and then i'll just send you a new one we'll restart yeah um but uh i do want to talk a bit about uh uh timok who's the lead oh oh, uh, yeah who was had a purely martial arts background and no acting background yeah when they did this movie um and it works perfectly you can tell he's not a good actor but he's that's kind of the point (laughs) right exactly yeah yeah it works for the character he's this guy who talks without any contractions like uh, you know he (laughs) like it's he's very in some ways he reminds me of a little bit of like fez from that 70s show when he talks this very kind of you know straight-laced foreigner yeah Mm -hmm. uh but perfect you know one of the perfect example of like you don't need to be a quote-unquote good actor to be great in a movie (laughs) yeah you just need to be able to do that role. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It's um, like, great acting, it seems like, is about being able to be multifaceted, to uh, be to be a great actor. You can be several different characters with a bunch of different motivations. And then just, you know, people can kind of lose you in this. But for Time Lock, you can just show up and just be like, oh, <laughs> you could just show up and do this. <laughs> right, right. Uh and then uh, on the flip side of that, you have Julius Carey as Shonoff, who is an amazing actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just he just chews the scenery every single time he's talking. Like, yep. uh, um, he and he, I guess he was an example where he didn't know any martial arts, so he had to learn some for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, perfect example of just this eclectic mix of people with varied talents that work properly in the you know put together in the right way. Which it's just so good yeah it is such a mix of different people coming together to make something happen you have like his brother yes who is like a comic relief he's great not interested in kung fu at all you know (laughs) you could say he's not even that interested in like music videos or like you know 80s music culture he just wants vanity so he just wants to look cool be seen be considered cool by others so that he can get to vanity <laughs> despite the fact that he's a kid <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. No, i love that that kid character is great because he's he's so funny like he has really good comedic timing and i love that there's kind of this mystery to the movie that's like how did leroy become so different from his family like he's <laughs> yeah, he, it's like a dexter's he, lab situation a little, how, <laughs> yeah, how did you yeah. get to be this different <laughs> yeah he's he's extremely different uh talks differently and everything his family just they own a pizza place you know they're yep. simple business owners uh and then you know, his little brother is trying to explain to like, don't you guys see how weird he is? Like, he's just, yeah. he's kind of how the voice of reason. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but I also love that kid's art because he's a dancer. 
and he has the best arc in the entire movie where at the end of it he's tied up and he dances out of his, his... way out of his out of the ropes <laughs> right 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 uh, yeah everybody has a moment everyone has like a great moment at the end you know when when all the madness is going down and you have this uh one of the funniest aspects of the movie i think is the the team of henchmen that eddie arcadian puts together that yep. are uh, he has auditions for them where they all have like resumes. Yeah. W- one guy, <laughs> one guy has just a newspaper article about like a lady he murdered in an alley. <laughs> like, it's, just, <laughs> it's just people proving how bad they are. It's like I just need the worst of the worst. Bring them by the studio. <laughs> it's a little There's bit like one guy who just like you know bites a set of nunchucks in half yeah. or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah he just starts barking it's like oh that's fine yeah it reminds me it reminds me a little of uh yeah no they're they're over the top like everyone has their own thing it's like the warriors a little bit where they're just exactly these insane caricatures of gang members um it reminds me that scene reminds me a little bit of uh, there's a similar scene in blazing saddles when um the bad guy <laughs> is auditioning bad guys too and then like mm. um uh and they're they're all like outlaws and just like various just various types of outlaws signing up to be bad guys you know yeah. uh, acknowledging <laughs> that cliche is very funny um, and that's uh, so much about this film is trying to do it's like we're just going to acknowledge certain tropes and put our own spin on it and make it fun and just have fun with it yeah definitely um and, and it's uh uh i i mean it, it's it's like uh I, I think it's a really incredible thing when you can harken back to something and you're clearly paying reference and homage to something, but yep. it's, it's, it's also not a retread at all because there's no movie quite like this one. Uh, Agreed. It's, uh, you know, you do have, you have your martial arts sequences and then you have DeBarge's rhythm of the night <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, all these pieces that, that come together and it's like, it's every single type of high energy thing. The movie is just like, like anything that just it, everything that could possibly get your blood rushing <laughs> watching a movie yeah. happens in this one. Um, and by, yeah, by, by harkening back to the seventies and also, you know, being so distinctly eighties, uh, one of my favorite aspects of the movie, which is kind of not, it's not made incredibly clear, but they hint at it a couple of times is that there's this kind of weird backwards reality to the the movie where you know you have characters like like bruce leroy who you know he's black but he's kind of taken on chinese culture where he, he yep. wears like a, a a rice hat uh and stuff yep. like that he wears like you know jumpsuits or just like the standard like kind of chinese garb he's taken in entirely which yes. is like you could do kung fu and you could you could be into like you can be into martial arts but you've taken it to a different place now. <laughs> right, right. Uh, like you said, the kind of borderline uh, cultural appropriation or cultural appre- appreciation, right? Uh, yeah. And then w- one of my favorite scenes is as when he's looking for the master who's who's yep. named Sumdum Gui, which is right? hilarious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and goes to the Sumdum Gui place and you meet the three Asian guys who work there. And mm-hmm. they're characterized as having like cliche urban like black, accents. Yeah, yeah, like black tendencies. <laughs> yeah, like black and they're looking at him like you're not cool. <laughs> right, right, right. There's that like, <laughs> what are you trying to do? Like, what are you trying to do? Right, right. Like, I love when he, he walks up and he's like looking for his master, and one of them's like, he's like, "Yo, man, there ain't no masters here. There ain't no right? slaves neither." And they all like high five each other, <laughs> and right. it's kind of this <laughs> like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> right. You're like, "What?" <laughs> 
oh this movie takes place in a fictional universe like it's kind of yeah you know uh same thing I, like they roll up and it's kind of antagonistic he's trying to get in to trying to keep him out i'm like y'all should be friends this should be some sort of like exchange here yeah. because like they they obviously know they're not black and he obviously knows but it's weird because like he's not in on the ruse that there's not a master named Samdongui. Yeah. <laughs> he just accepts that. Right. Like, he doesn't know enough, like, I don't know, like, you know, the language or something like that. He just he just seems like very much led, led on. Right. About the film. From from the beginning of the movie, we already know the twist. We know that there is no Samdongui. We know that there's yeah. no, you know, there's no mm-hmm. uh master. Um mm-hmm. But I, I love that sequence too, where it's like they get him high, you know? And then yeah. uh, there's also the whole bit with him, you know, he's pretending to be a pizza guy. And I love when he's trying to practice a more black accent. Like he's yep. he's like my practicing. Man. Yes, yeah, he goes like, hello, my man. Like trying to- <laughs> yeah, yeah, he can't, yeah. He's <laughs> trying to do it a light. But then you like, you meet his family like earlier in the film. It's like, this should come naturally to you because you're constantly around it. But it's yes. like a extreme just disconnect. <laughs> Between him and the, the surrounding culture. <laughs> yeah. I'm Mike. And I'm Allison. We've both been guests on We Are Movies before. We love talking movies with Johnny. But I'm a jealous boy. You are. That's why we've decided to talk movies with, with each, each other. other. We started our own podcast called You, you Made, made me, me Watch. Each week we make each other watch a movie the other has never seen. You Made Me Watch. New episodes every Friday. I gotta go back to... I got to go back to time lock on this one because yeah. I like because often when I discuss this movie with some people, they they're like, whatever happened to time lock? Yeah, because like this, this film was so big and they don't really haven't seen him like since. So I was like, yeah, like so basically doing a little search on what happened to time lock. And I, of course, got his like history, like he's got a black belt, like seven different disciplines, uh, found out he was an early ref for the UFC, found out oh. that he trained Madonna in martial arts uh and he's actually been acting like ever since really it's just just random stuff that i feel like was just as never as popular as the in this film so i'm like oh it's just a list of stuff i've never heard of but he was like in an episode of a different world he was in an episode like beverly hills now 210 several episodes of that and then these uh movies some of them came out like one came out like this year called fearless three so it's like a series which was like funny because like I watched the trailer for it because I was on this deep dive. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, what's this? It is going like, all in on Timok. <laughs> I was going all in on Timok about it. And I watched the trailer for this film. And it's like, from what I could get up the gist of it, because it was a little bit convoluted, it was like, okay, there's these like there's these dojos and they're like warring dojos, like pretty standard stuff, you know, all black cast, and it's like young female but black leads who are like discovering that they're like really good at martial arts and they have superpowers mm. and that now it's all these dojos using superpowers and like having laser vision and stuff like that and i was like okay this is interesting but at the end of the trailer they the one of the main characters gives this line says says like oh yeah my master said that the world knew who i was they wouldn't be ready what do you think and i immediately go that's Superman. <laughs> That's that Henry Cavill Man of Steel film. Yeah. And that trailer ends the exact same way. And I was like kind of shook by that. <laughs> but then I saw a film that he did a few years ago called, oh, 
Oh my god, I looked it here. Uh, Fury of the Fist and the Golden Fleece from 2018. You saw the movie? No, I did not oh. see this movie, oh, okay. and I. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tempted to <laughs> now just to like see time out another film yeah. but it's about a porn star who is also a uh, uh you know a martial arts master uh, okay. uh and like a stunt guy for movies and he's like uh breaking up a plot by an evil corporation to inject all men with enough estrogen so they just to destroy males forever <laughs> and that's <laughs> and that's the plot of the film and it's got it's got danny trejo in it oh wow tony lister like debo you know, nice. and ron jeremy oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> like the expendables wow what a yeah, like what a lineup <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i was like what is this film like part of me was like i've never watched this part of me is also like maybe i should wait did you say so do, do, wait did you say tony like uh tiny lister the yeah, actor tony or... lister, like yeah that the actor oh okay oh like, wow like, okay like debo from friday oh yeah, yeah 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 okay is, is in this film yeah and i was like <laughs> it was like maybe I, I don't want to watch that that sounds awful but also maybe i should <laughs> <laughs> like oh yeah if i go back and do this podcast again Maybe yeah. that'll be. <laughs> that'll Maybe that'll be the, the movie. <laughs> like, make you watch this terrible film. <laughs> That's one thing about this podcast. People can literally make me watch anything if they if they have to. <laughs> yeah. They choose to talk about it. Um, I, I, um, I wanted to bring up, and actually, I pulled up on Wikipedia. This movie has repeatedly been referenced so many times since, yeah. like multiple songs it's very quotable uh, yeah highly quotable obviously like the iconography th there's that great that buster rhymes music video where he's yep. dressed as show enough yep uh, and he does that whole like you know who is the prettiest show enough like they Who's do that the yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then uh, uh sexy and i know it by lmfao uh, yep. references it uh yep. which actually i think one half of lmfao one of the guys i forget which one is uh the son or grandson of barry gordy so, oh, okay uh there's also nepotism yeah, i didn't know that was involved in lmfa <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they got they got to be a shoe-in <laughs> based on a legacy pick i didn't think that was necessary for the yeah party rock anthem that's another thing so. all these great all these greats that we got because of motown records also includes lmfao that's yeah. <laughs> um and uh, oh one other thing too I was when I was looking at Tymock and just because he was so big at the time, he was actually in a music video with Janet Jackson. Oh, really? And that, that is what that's something I would highly recommend watching because it's a super 80s music video. And like the 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 music video opens up with like Tymock is like sitting with uh Janet Jackson on like a rooftop somewhere, and he looks very disappointed. And at the start of it, I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, is he mad? Because you know, she won't give him no pussy. And I felt immediately embarrassed for myself being like, that's so crass. You know, like, I, I can't believe I automatically think that. Like, I thought it was funny, but she was like, that's not funny though. Why does it always have to be about sex? Like I was like super disappointed in myself by thinking that. And then I watched the video and that's exactly the plot of the music <laughs> video. <laughs> like, the music video is called like, like wait for me or something like that. Yeah. And it basically just all plays out where like they're dating, but she doesn't want to have sex with him yet. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally the plot of the whole thing it's like the most 80s video too where like she's got her head against the window and she's singing the lyrics That's you know funny. looking out looking outside she's got like she's like 
sitting backwards in a chair with like a blank background, singing the yeah. lyrics right to the camera. A lot of crossfades, a lot of close-ups. Like it's just, <laughs> it's the most 80s thing. It just it stars time lock. And I was like, oh, that's where this afternoon has led me. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of time lock uh, uh, wanting pussy, um, I mean, that's sort of, that's sort of the main, that's the subplot of this movie uh, is, yeah. is that it's about a young man wanting to lose his virginity. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that's kind of like, you know, there's this parallel made between that and dancing and martial arts where it's all about moves. Like yep. the, the, this movie is, there's this sort of this, yeah, this other language to this movie that it's about everything in life is about moves. It's about, yep. you know, whether you're dancing or you're fighting or you're having sex. And and so there's that great scene in the car where he's trying to explain like, well, I have this friend and, uh, you know, like, oh, he doesn't, you know, he's you never know been with a girl before <laughs> and he needs to know some moves. And she's like, well, I'll show you some moves, Leroy. And he's right. just like, he's just like, oh, I'm not talking about me, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But then just has a perfect, like a really sweet conclusion where after the action climax of the movie, um there's this party you know there's this party on her show everyone's dressed in white uh and then she's like really high up on this balcony and he walks out and he's trying to talk over the music and then just loudly goes i want you to show me some moves and everyone hears him and they laugh and and then they they go off together so she can deflower him (laughs) basically yeah like like they're getting married she's gonna carry him across the threshold yeah 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 (laughs) it's Um, like oddly enough i feel like that was the most awkward sex of all time after that oh, like probably prepared for it she's like okay that's fine you know right. like this isn't gonna go well but eventually we can get there if we it's, it's gonna be more like a class you know she's yeah <laughs> she's she's actually showing him moves like she's not <laughs> yeah sex is supposed to be a conversation but this has become a lecture <laughs> <laughs> and for a powerful woman you know sometimes you get the dichotomy of being like okay i actually want to be controlled but like oh yeah. powerful woman oh i can control this too well yeah i mean good for her it's 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 it balances out nicely with the fact that she's a damsel in distress so many times at the end of it, she teaches her, her, uh, her hero, how to have sex. So, (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, I, uh, I do want to talk about, and we talked about this a little bit, uh, before, um, you know, obviously this movie is like a, a byproduct of the fact that, um, the hugest audience for martial arts movies when they were having their boom in the seventies, that, that was black people. Like that Mm -hmm. was, uh, you know people have said that uh i was watching a documentary called i am bruce lee and it was all about you know bruce lee and his cultural impact it was like they were mm-hmm. saying that um uh bruce lee's biggest fans were black uh mm-hmm. and uh and and there are multiple theories for that multiple reasons uh, i'm kind of curious what you think about why you know because this movie is such a reflection of it why you think there is such a resonance for uh, the martial art movies, movies in black communities. Why do you think that is? My first thoughts when you kind of like brought up this topic, my first thoughts was about like representation. Mm. And if we're talking about like 70s and 80s or like Hollywood and films, having a lead in a film not being white is a, like a big deal. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just seeing that from like any other culture, especially any minority culture, of being like, okay, there's a lead here and they're, they're not white. It's just like, speaks to like any person of color can just like see that and be like, get a little bit closer to like the representation. And that was like my first thing that I was thinking of. And beyond that, when I started looking kind of into it, uh, 
I discovered that a lot of these Kung Fu films were being premiered in New York in like kind of the grindhouse cinema areas was like, it's very cheap. Yeah. So these are like, they're actually like releasing these movies for the first time in areas where there just happens to be a lot of black people, like mm-hmm. in New York, in like you know, cheap cinemas where you could watch this film and then you could watch it multiple times. Yeah. Because back then it was like, okay, we're going to play this film. That's getting played all weekend. Right. So it used to not be this huge multiplex, like what I'm used to, like, you know, in my hometown was like, oh, there's 20 theaters. Right. In that one building. And you could, you know, you can watch 20 different films in a day. Yeah. Whereas you watch this film, that's all it's being played in a loop (laughs) all day. So if like you could go and, you know, pay however much a ticket was, I guess, two pennies or something back then, you could watch a film like three, four times. (laughs) So it can just easily be a part of your you know, your imagination and culture very quickly. And if it was first premiering, like in these areas of New York, then like, yeah. and then you're having like, you know, booms of hip hop at the same time, mm. you know, there's like civil rights movements happening at the same time, you know, there's so much happening and being a part of what black culture, you know, still remains to be to this day is originating from this particular time in like the seventies and eighties. So it was just kind of like right place, right time as well. And then I started digging a little deeper and, you know, someone, you know, way more versed on the subject than me works for like the guardian mm. was like doing this thing about us talking about how uh, in these films, a lot of these films, it becomes about the Chinese Japanese conflict. Mm. Yeah. It all depends on, you know, you know, who's making the film, who's going to be the oppressor, who's going to be the aggressor, you know, (laughs) you can watch, you can watch a film from either side, but like a lot of (laughs) these are like, you know, Chinese films talking about Japanese oppression they're coming in and they're like fucking up their shit and they're dealing with injustice. And it's like, oh, dealing with injustice from a different race. And now you have to use your inner strength and discipline and like loyalty to the people around you to fight back. I'm like, that's going to connect with a black audience certainly so so there's like this and the 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 moves thing too like we were just talking about the 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 connection between kung fu and like dance yeah kung fu and like you know hip-hop right it's just is it that bridge is very short to cross so yeah. you you have it in the sense of like oh i see like the civil rights um touchstones in this story and there's also like the way they move having like rhythm and precision is going to be very like appealing to black culture. So it's like, it it can hit on multiple levels with it. And then you have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the game (laughs) of death in 1973. So it's like, if, if Bruce Lee so famously was willing to bring in other cultures to what he was doing, it all just kind of lines up. And so there was just so much opportunity for black people to get into it. And then once we did and it started to become popular and you get like a Wu-Tang clan, you know, doors open, doors shut, we're in now. Right. You know, and like even to this day, you get Kendrick Lamar, whose uh, you know, alter ego is like Kung Fu Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's it's pretty much all over the place, you know. And then there's actually a film that I really want to watch now that I'm, I'm really surprised I haven't seen. But in like looking this stuff up. It's a film called The Black Dragon. Oh, yeah. Same year, 1973, starring a black, you know, martial artist. Yeah. Who we could consider being like the first black superhero film, you know? Right. So just having a strong black lead 
and then having these having you know martial arts culture or Chinese or Japanese culture depending on which film you're watching it was all just kind of just there yeah well one of the stunt coordinators on the last dragon is Ron Van Cleef as well who mm-hmm. was also a bit of a, a star in the grindhouse circuit mm-hmm. um and yeah I think that's those are really good points that you made I obviously like you know I can see how when one movie is playing in that grindhouse theater for a week everyone ends up seeing that movie. Everyone who goes to the movies is going to see that movie. And automatically mm-hmm. there's a sense of community around that movie, you yep. know, where, and that's different from now where obviously, like you said, with the multiplex, it's like, I, not everyone's seeing the same movie. We're all no. going to see different movies. There's too much choice, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, back then you could just see, yeah, just that movie. And yeah. I don't really get that. Last time I felt that was when Black Panther dropped. Yes. When I yeah. felt like this was a community action. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> wouldn't I feel better about the world right now? Let's all go see Black Panther. I saw Black <laughs> Panther in theater eight times. It's right. probably my most viewed in theater movie. Oh, wow. But that was also Movie Pass, too. Oh, sure. Time, yeah. yeah. Which was the, the best thing since the internet. That was, me, yeah, as, a, as a movie buff. That was I everything. used that until the day it died. I, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I knew at the time. stopped I, selling me tickets. <laughs> right, right. Until I was like, there's, like, I knew there's no way this business model is sustainable, but I'm going to mm-hmm. use it as long as I can. Exactly. Um, I'm taking full advantage of this. I saw yeah. so many films in that amount of time. It was, <laughs> it was an incredible time. I think, traded for the world. I think Mission Impossible killed it, if I'm not mistaken. I remember going to see Mission Impossible and I was there mm-hmm. trying to get my ticket and they're like, we ran out of money. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. So, oh, yeah. We're, we're, yeah. They had to start being honest with you. They had yeah, to start yeah. being like, we're, well, I'm not giving you this. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Check in with us later because we can't do this right, right now. Hey, do you want to see Gotti with John Travolta instead? Uh, yeah, anyone? Yeah. And then I did. You know, <laughs> I saw they stopped releasing like the 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 big movies, and I can only see yeah. so. I saw so many films that I would not have seen otherwise. That's so funny. Like I saw Phantom Thread in theaters oh, yeah. with Daniel Day Lewis, and I wouldn't have done that, but I saw it and I loved it. It was <laughs> really like, it's a good movie. Fast. Yeah, it's Paul, Paul. Yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, yep. I um I, I did also want to say um you, you, obviously yeah you have in the um in the Bruce Lee movies you do have like it's always a fight against oppressors. And even when it's not Chinese, Japanese, it's like, like in a movie, like the big boss, it's blue collar yep. versus their boss, you know, it's yep. still fighting the man, you know? Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I can see how that translates incredibly well. And then I think that something that people, people to this day, write off quote unquote exploitation movies very easily, but yeah. don't really understand, like, like it always disappoints me when somebody who's like a film academic Mm-hmm. doesn't really want to get into why movies like that resonate so much and it's always yep. like it's the catharsis it's that mm-hmm. you're seeing something that you don't always get to see you're seeing you know the oppressed winning um, mm-hmm. usually very violently because <laughs> yep. that's it's cathartic to yeah. watch and that in mainstream movies at the time uh that's not often what you saw and then especially obviously you know, who was the biggest black movie star from the 50s until the 70s was somebody like Sidney Poitier. Poitier. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Sidney Poitier, amazing actor, you know, the best mm-hmm. you're going to get is him slapping a white guy in, in the heat of yeah. the night, right? They like, call me Mr. Tibbs, you know? Right? <laughs> he yeah. gets to like be forceful on screen. Like other yeah. than that, like you had exploitation films to get a certain amount of representation. I think people shy right. away from it because they don't want to talk about the racial climate. Yeah, and yeah. talk about the reasonings as to why, and to, to be like, okay, um, extremely <laughs> racist place to live, America, yeah. kind of built on that. Uh, let's talk about it. And like black exploitations, 
films like yeah they're gonna rely heavily on certain stereotypes they're gonna like get a rap for that but like yeah. you know you're you're talking about films that are like what 50 years less than 50 years away from a birth of a nation yes yeah. so it's like a film literally about the, the formation of the Ku Klux Klan <laughs> that was yeah. like screened in the White House it's like you kind of right. have to tell the story about how we got here and like it's it's going to have like some impact even if it's like even if we can look back on it and say okay that probably wasn't the best it still has a moment in time where like well this is what we got right right well you hear stories about how you know like in the heat of the night came out in 68 right incredibly charts time the, the you know it's the it's the year that mlk was killed uh oh. and the moment that Sidney Poitier slaps that rich guy, people mm -hmm. were cheering in the theater. They thought that was yeah. such an amazing, that was the hugest thing you could have ever seen, you know, yeah. at that time. And then when you have in the early seventies, you have like, I guess what a lot of people credit kind of creating the black exploitation genre mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, sweet, sweet backs, badass song. Uh, <laughs> did you ever see that one? Uh, no, I just, I just, just hear you say that. I'm like, yeah. okay, I wonder what that is. Oh, it's incredible. It's, <laughs> Because it's uh, Melvin Van Peebles, uh, the movie, and that movie early on, the main character uh, to protect the head of the Black Panthers just murders two white cops, just kills them, and he's the hero of the movie. And I can't, I can't imagine so many people who just a couple years prior had thought that Sidney Poitier slapping a guy was the biggest success in a movie. We're like, yeah, you can do that in a movie. <laughs> like, right? you can just have that kind of catharsis, you know, yep. and. And that kind of changed the game. And so, yeah, you can see clearly how that energy transfers into the, like then yeah, the martial arts and uh, and then how the martial arts and black exploitation genres kind of informed each other and crossed over. Um, and then you get that influence in so many things to this day. Yes. So like yeah. you get the Matrix happens. You get right, Lawrence Fishburne right. in the Matrix. You get Wesley Snipes as Blade. Wesley Snipes. Yeah, no, incredible. Wesley yeah. Snipes in general, because he was like Simon, like Simon says, yeah, like Demolition Man, Passenger Fifty Seven. I always, yeah, I'm like, liked, yeah. like Wesley Snipes, like or yeah. like uh, Michael J. White, yeah, you know, martial artist. Michael you know, J. Like, White is great. Yeah, you can draw a line right up to, you know, I don't know what the most recent, you know, black star who's doing martial arts that yeah. I can think of. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like in the 70s, you had like Jim Kelly, like he was the big mm -hmm. breakout from, you know, Enter the Dragon. Um, mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, but I, I think um, I, the, the most basic thing about martial arts and why I think it resonates so well in any sort of disadvantaged community mm -hmm. is always that like, it's always going to be like the it's it's the weapon of the oppressed because we view the oppressor as like the one with the gun right we view yep. um if you look at all of the white action stars like the john waynes you know or at they, that got area, they got a gun they got you know they're you know they're they're the symbolic of the western idealism and and mm -hmm. um gentrification they have the means of production exactly <laughs> yeah so they have that power they're wielding in their hands and yep. so then but then something about martial arts, it's like, it's purely you. You can be stripped of all of your possessions, anything yep. you could ever have. They could burn your house down and you could roll up. Yes. And just give them these hands. Exactly. Yeah. And you can't yeah. take these. <laughs> you then, can try. Right. But it won't work. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then to see that embodied in The Last Dragon is the power of the glow. You know, it's yeah. perfect where you see them literally glowing. <laughs> Full body glow. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> and the, the shock of seeing Show Nuff has the glow, but he only has it in his hands. He yes. only knows how to use it in a way that's like, yeah, very forceful and violent and only for his own gain, but like, you know, you know, Leroy Green can right. blow all over. <laughs> yes, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, you're to- you're totally right. I love I love that. I love that like just very simple image that means so much. Mm-hmm. The the bad guy, it's only in his hands, and then the good guy, yeah, it's all over. And it, it's you know, that's that goes back, that's very Bruce Lee, too. Like yep. that's if you talk about Bruce Lee's philosophies, you know, like be water, my friend. Like it's all about mm-hmm. to him, martial arts was, you know, it's a you know, many martial artists. It's more than yep. just you know, a fight style. It's a philosophy. And it's a philosophy. It's a way you live your life, where you look at the world differently. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And so I think that's why there's so many great, like everything you could love about martial arts is kind of in the last dragon, uh, seeing it as like the language of the oppressed. And then also seeing it as, uh, you know, as something that's akin to dancing or sex, you know, Ooh. whatever you do with your body, uh, yep. that's natural um and then it's also uh yeah it's also like how you find your inner peace and your inner strength and uh and it's yeah the perfect movie to watch growing up i think in so many ways Uh, it's it's a film that has resonated so much with me and like you know my family and stuff like that that i just forced it into making it like a christmas movie <laughs> oh nice <laughs> so i'll just like show up like when we all like meet for christmas i'll just show up with with the movie like, i got it like on like i got it, like on dvd and, oh, I'll just, nice. I'll, and i'll just like show up with it and be like oh so what are we gonna do with the afternoon like we're gonna watch last dragon again <laughs> do you, <laughs> and, like, do, does the whole family love the movie do, do they all like the movie like you do or i think everyone like likes it but like me and my sister fanaticize <laughs> so there's like oh yeah that's fine we can watch that it doesn't really matter but i mean like let's let's do this like i'm the type of dude who's like i'll like search the internet for like images and like weird stuff and i yeah. literally like made a t-shirt from like the international poster of the film. oh that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> i found it and i'm all like oh i need to put that on a shirt that's a great poster too yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it 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 just presents the movie in a different way for like a you know a different crowd, and I was like, okay, yeah, this is this is yeah. what I need. Like, so like one of my favorite movies of all time. It's one of those like could watch it at any time, like kind of yeah. movies. It's it's like I cannot imagine watching this movie and being in a bad mood afterwards. And mm-hmm. and I also think that if you not to offend anybody who doesn't like the movie, but I really mm-hmm. think that if you watch this movie and you're not on board with it, you, you must be kind of an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta be in this mood. And yeah. not only are you in that mood, you really wanna stay in it. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you could, yeah, like I said, you could talk about this film, like this is all about cultural appropriation and this is kind of bullshit, but like it's it's presented in such a way that like brings everyone in yeah it's just trying to have fun with it in the sense of like oh this dude just really likes bruce lee movies yeah no that's totally right and it's it's uh like it's it's a love letter it's mm-hmm. more than anything else you know and it's mm-hmm. like it's having fun with stereotypes about you know black people and asian people yep. uh but in a way that i think kind of bolsters the love that's behind the movie and how the much way the it- plot progresses is just so like standard kung fu film yes yeah. You know, like the other master shows up, fight me. And he goes, no, I don't just fight just because just to prove things to people. You know, that's yeah. not my philosophy. And he's <laughs> like, I don't care. 
then like shows back up and then shows up his dojo and breaks some stuff and yeah, then destroys student, the pizza place yeah yeah the students are like maybe you should fight him because he's breaking <laughs> stuff he's like nah i'm not gonna teach you that and then then it finally shows up and like you know messes up your family and truly hurts someone you love and now it becomes like i have to protect the people around me to do it then yeah. fights him and overcomes the the aggressor you know it's pretty yes. it's pretty basic yeah yeah i do i like the scene when they're destroying the pizza place too when the mom's mm-hmm. throwing pizza dough at the guy's faces yeah <laughs> he's just hitting them with the close-up and he yeah. breaks the jukebox he's like i don't even own that yeah he's like it's not even mine, he's <laughs> even mine. yeah uh, the glass is just really easily breakaway glass yeah it's uh, very much like sugar glass yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know it's it's so good um and i that'd be in my ideal rage room you know they like sell people rooms <laughs> To break, just and I can break show up dressed up like Shonuff, and it's like a pizza place. <laughs> if I'm not in a better mood after that, there's nothing that can be done. It is worth pointing out the movie also concludes with uh, Eddie Arcadian trying to shoot uh, Leroy, and then him catching the, the bullet with his teeth. Yeah, with the yeah. gun, exactly. And then he catches the bullet with his teeth, which is cleverly set up earlier in the movie with yep. uh, you know Shonuff talking about it. So it's mm. a yeah, it's a perfect, just a perfect. All all the loose ends get tied together, and. Uh, and like you said, another point I wanted to make about it not being, you know, like where I wouldn't necessarily categorize it personally as something as cultural appropriation is because it, at the end, it's for everybody. You see mm-hmm. the the whole team, all of Bruce's, you know, all the students and stuff. It's a racially diverse group of people. There's uh, yep. Ernie Reyes Jr., a little Asian kid who grew up to mm-hmm. be, he's in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, uh, and he's in Surf Ninjas. Yeah. <laughs> he has a great part in the movie too, and he, you know, you see him kicking ass. And so it's just like the celebration. It's like, yeah, anybody, this is for anybody who needs it. For, yeah, anybody who wants it, anybody who needs it. It's a very diverse cast. Like, even Show Nuff's crew is diverse. Yeah. <laughs> Men and women, you know, yes. different races. And like, we just want to be tough. And you know we want to <laughs> we want to just walk around and like be the toughest people in town. Yeah, <laughs> it's like okay, that's what you're into. It's fun. Uh, last one of the last questions I want to ask before I uh, get to the the negative reviews. Um, yeah. What uh, uh, what what's your favorite song in the movie? Do you think? Because there, there's quite a few to choose from. <laughs> the end credit scene is really good. Oh, but yeah. it's it's debarge rhythm of the night that really that really carries it because <laughs> yeah. they have the yeah they hold they have the whole sequence about it yeah and that's the that's the song that like resonates with the energy of that film the most yeah it's definitely like, that song is inseparable from this movie for me yeah yeah and like the whole you know let your problems go you know show up and try to have fun is one of the arc is the arc of the main character who's like so focused in on you know, finding the new master and advancing his training that's stressing them out. Yes. And if he can just, you know, connect with himself and realize that, you know, what he was already accomplished and who he already is and take, uh, take stock of just now and appreciate it, you know, then, you know, he could hear that song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're right. Uh, I, that's, I mean, that's, I feel like that's the obvious choice and that I would choose it too. I think that's, yeah. Uh, I do have, I'm a little partial towards uh, that nonsense song that the fortune cookie guys are singing yeah. to. That's like sukiyaki, hot sake, su, sake to me, sake to you. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would certainly be like my number two for sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so I pulled up a couple reviews. I looked up uh, half star reviews. So this mm-hmm. is people who gave it a half star out of five. The lowest rating they could. <laughs> the lowest rating they possibly could. One guy said, absolutely horrid. Wouldn't recommend this film to my worst enemy. Moronic at best. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like somebody just opposed to fun, frankly. Yeah, or just doesn't have the the self-awareness to recognize when a when a film is also being self-aware right because it's exactly. very aware of what it's doing the entire time right <laughs> like you you call this movie moronic if the movie could talk it would be like yeah that's <laughs> like, the point did you not see the music video with Eddie arcadian's <laughs> girlfriend where she like has a line about roller skates and then pulls up a roller skate and spins the wheel like that's very yeah. you don't shoot something like that unless you know <laughs> that you're trying to be silly who watches a movie where someone catches a bull with their teeth and just like, yeah, I think this movie's uh, <laughs> this movie's a little dumb. <laughs> um, this next review says, the single worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> it has some moments of so bad it's funny syndrome, but even those aren't enough to save the cringe I felt when being forced to watch this by my dad. I'll never get those hours back. Gets half a star because the camera was in focus and because the Shogun of Harlem's entrance was actually hilarious. Um, mm. I think this is a person who is so close to getting it right. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there before. Like I watched Burn After Reading the first time. I'm like, this movie is fucking stupid. Yes. <laughs> I took it seriously. I thought it was going to be a spy thriller. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, oh, this is a straight comedy. Exactly. And I saw it the second time knowing that was the truth. And it was one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Like I <laughs> love that. But the first time I'm like, why are you doing this? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um. This one made me laugh. When William H. Macy and two-fifths of a mostly drugged-out DeBarge showed up, I felt that. (laughs) (laughs) That's all that needed to be said. (laughs) Yeah. This last one, I think, is funny because it's a half a star, but also I 100% agree with it. Absolutely nuts. Watch this and you'll never forget it. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah. That's true. It is absolutely nuts. And I have not forgotten that at all. As as someone who would give it five stars, I fully agree with everything (laughs) that half star review said. Um, It's an interesting place to be. Yeah. Uh, Was there anything else you want to say about the movie before we wrap up? Uh, It was a Motown Productions picture. So not Barry Gordy, not only like, you know, executive produced the film, but he had started a whole, you know, you know, a film production company around making the films that he wanted to do yeah and it's it's very clear in this film that this was something that had a lot of passion from like pretty much everyone involved and it was like i didn't do this on purpose i didn't do this just to make other executives money you know we're not here to get a check you know we're here because we really want to make this film and i was looking at other films produced by that same production company and lady sings the blues is one and the other one that connect with this one is the whiz oh wow if you make a black wizard of oz you do that on purpose you do that on purpose <laughs> and you do that from a place of love that's what you really want to do yeah and i think that that's what speaks to this film from like so many different angles is is just, just people being passionate about stuff be it the villains or the main character or any of the side characters they what they're passionate about is on their sleeve and they're just trying to they had mostly trying to have fun. At least the film is trying to have fun with these people's, you know, passion and what they're trying to do. And I think that's why just part of the, part of the many, many, many reasons why it resonates with me is because these people just trying to enjoy it. Yeah. So 
I can just do that when I'm, I can watch this movie when I'm just trying to enjoy something. That's that's uh, it's beautifully put. Um, and it, yeah, it is it is a, a just a love letter to so many things, to martial arts and to music. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it is the most. <clears throat> It, it, it its full title is Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, and that's a yep. perfect way to <laughs> to advertise it too. Yeah, you know, even though he's not the writer or the director, his his handprints are all over it. All over it. Yeah, <laughs> all over it. Because, like I said, it's like such a music video movie. I think this is Barry Gordy of Motown. So <laughs> right. Well, and there's something um, I you know people talk about when you get into like film studies people really glorify like the auteur like the movie that seems like one singular vision from one guy and (laughs) obviously right and obviously there's like a value to that like that's worth everybody loves that like when they feel Mm -hmm. like one artist did something but that also kind of takes away from like how valuable art is when it's clearly made by a community you know made by a team uh, with a shared passion. I think that there's something so powerful to that too. And I think that this is a great example of that. This isn't, you know, um, Michael Schultz, the director, you know, this mm-hmm. isn't just a Michael Schultz movie. This is, yeah. he's the director, but it's, it's the, you know, it's the writer's movie. It's Barry Gordy's yeah. movie. It's Louis Vanastro. Louis Vanastro, yep, yep. Is, is the, the writer, this is everyone coming together to make something happen. Exactly. And I think it's unfortunate when we, I think we're a little bit too obsessed with this individual minded culture, especially in the West here, we're mm-hmm. so individualistic minded that we forget that so many great things happen because so many people work together to make it happen. Yes. There's that meme that popped up that it was like Freddie Mercury wrote, uh, you know, wrote that song, you know, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. It was just him. And he wrote this classic and there's like 19 writers on Beyonce's, you know, who won the world girls. Yeah. And everyone's like, what's happened to music? And I'm like, right. Run the World Girls is a good song. I don't really care that nights and people worked on it because honestly, it's always about a group. You know, yeah, yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody was still made by Queen, a group. Right. And I think we're very quick to try and point out one person and be like, you know, that's the reason why everything's awesome. Exactly. Or that's the reason why everything sucks, you know, but like <laughs> it's, it's far more complex than that. And I think we can take a film like The Last Dragon and recognize that it really is about a bunch of people coming together and having a good time like you said the end of the film everyone's there you know yeah just trying to have some fun with it so like black culture you know asian culture martial arts music you yeah. know <laughs> sex dancing you know action you know everybody everybody's here to get something and a yeah. bunch of people worked on it and like to be all that and to be that black there was no way i was not gonna love this film <laughs> that's yeah that's beautifully put uh well thank you so much for doing this this was yeah this was a lot of fun i'm glad we yeah we gotta this. do this again yeah definitely nice hanging out everybody that wraps up yet another episode of we are movies thank you so much for listening huge thank you to my guest alex bradley for coming on and talking about this movie i really appreciate it you can go follow alex on instagram at black in action 734 that's black underscore in underscore action 734 i'll put that in the description so you can find it um and obviously uh, see him live if you ever get a chance to so many funny people in ann arbor and um uh, yeah, definitely you owe it to yourself to see Alex. And uh, 
On top of that, um, if you're a fan of this podcast and you haven't yet, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at We Are Movies Pod. You can also like the Facebook page, We Are Movies. And you can also follow me on Letterboxd at Johnny Mockney, J-O-H-N-N-Y-M-O-C-N-Y. You can also find me on Instagram. I have a new Instagram account, uh, Johnny Mockney Comedy, J-O-H-N-N-Y-M-O-C-N-Y-C-O-M-E-D-Y. You'll see I'm just kind of updating um you know shows that i'm doing and kind of posting some reels and stuff like that there too so if you're interested you can find me there and uh that's all i have for you this week i'll be back with you very soon and until then uh this is johnny mockney saying uh learn some moves